It's if you're here, you're a member. I heard one time there was a church that said, if you've got one of our bulletins, you're a member. Um, and to me, that's kind of scary. Um, but that was their choice, right? Um, there are other churches that would say that um, that are very, very strict on membership, and you need to be a member to attend, and you need to have, be a member to do certain things. We kind of fall in the middle. Uh, and some of you are going to say, "I don't see church. I don't see local church membership in the in the Bible. I, it's a man-made tradition. I've heard that so many times that church membership is just man-made." Uh, and I would say, as I say at any membership class that we ever do, there is not a verse in the Bible that specifically says, thou shalt join the membership of a local church, right? There is not that verse. It's not the 11th commandment. Um, it would be great if we had a verse that was so specific that we could go to and say, you need to officially join a church. We're not going to see that passage, but what I do believe with all my heart is I've studied this out several times, and, uh, and, and as I had conversations with John and others who are very like-minded in this sense, is that membership, although not specifically, there's not a specific passage we can go to, as we look at the whole of Scripture, there's a lot of really logical reasons as we look at God's Word of why joining a local church is super important, is something that we need to do. It's a step of obedience. And so this morning we're going to do a little bit of a journey. We're going to go to a lot of different passages of Scripture. To save some time, I've printed them all out, so we're not turning to all of them. But please feel free to follow along. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV version if you want to know that. Uh, But we're going to be going through a lot of things about membership. But before we get there, um, let's just talk about membership in general, right? Uh, we got to understand maybe what membership is in general before we specifically... Look at what that means in the context of a local church. So what are you a member of? Uh, some of you maybe are a member of a certain club. Maybe you're a member of uh, a certain group of people, uh, a member of some, um, uh, just whatever it could be. You're just a member of some community organization, whatever it could be, and you're a member. What does a member look like? Well, uh, as an example in my life, Felicia and I were a member of a specific movie club, and we won't tell you which company it was, whatever. I mean, that's for you to decide. Uh, but we were at a, this movie club, and it was, uh, we decided to start our membership. We, we bought a membership in, and how you bought a membership in was basically you bought movies. And if you bought movies and you signed up for this membership, you would get movies for, like, you could get like six movies for one penny each, you know, to start your membership. Great deal, right? You get, you get six movies for a penny each. It's awesome. So we, we signed up, we get our first movies, um, and you know the membership continues. We continue to get movies, and the beautiful thing was we got deep discounts on a lot of movies that normally you'd have to spend a lot of money for. We were getting them for fairly cheap, but there was uh, this understanding. See, there's some benefits of the membership, right? You got cheap movies, but there was also a commitment to be made. There was not only uh, there was not only this idea of benefits. Uh, but there was also expectations of us, where we would have benefits. The expectation on us as members was that we would have to buy four full-priced, regular-priced movies from the club within a year. And so, and, and these are not movies that you can buy like Black Friday that were $10 movies. These are like, you know, $25 movies you've got to buy. So you've got to buy four of those a year. And then you can get as many as you want for a discounted price throughout the year. Sometimes it's 50% off, sometimes it's less, whatever it might be. And we did this for several years, and we got movies that our kids would destroy, and then we'd have to replace them. So we kept, we kept in the membership, right? But the idea was, is not only was there expectations on us, there was, there was also benefits that we were reaping. So a membership was kind of for the mutual a benefit of both the person giving the membership and the person in the membership. Now, we know through the business world that nothing is really two-sided. Usually the business wants what one, one thing, and that's money. And eventually we got out of that membership because it was costing us more than what it was saving us. Um, but all that being said, this is the idea of membership. There are benefits to being a member places. There are also expectations of being a member. That's why you're a member. Uh, there, there's not a member, there's very rare, maybe you can think of an example where a member would have all the benefits and no responsibility, or maybe a lot of responsibility and no benefits, but that's not how it's meant to be. Uh, a membership is a two-way street. This is the normal way that membership works, that there are both benefits and expectations. Now really, church membership is not that much different. 
There are expectations, yes, but there are also benefits. There are benefits to being a church member, but there are also expectations on you as a church member. Now, the difference, obviously, is that this is God's thing. This isn't just a business trying to make money. This is God wanting us to be joined to a local church, to have commitment to one another for our good and for his glory. And that is what God is looking for. He's not looking to make a profit. He's not looking to exploit us. He is looking to make to give us good as he glorifies himself. And so I think as we look at membership, that's the basic understanding. And just like any other membership, we'll look at church membership in that way. So let's take some time to explore this. Now as a way of introduction, I've already said some of these things, but I know they're in your, uh, your outline, so I'll, I'll say them. But baptism is the way, remember, we individually display and dis- declare Christ. Baptism is the way we individually display and declare Christ. Communion is the way that we display and declare Christ corporately. So we've looked at that in the last two weeks. And as I already said, church membership is the next step in our Christian life. As we've been baptized into Christ and as we've been communing with one another and communing with Christ through taking the elements, now church membership would be our next step. And I want to start right off with where do we even get the idea of saying membership, right? Uh, It's not just a worldly term. Actually, there is a term from Scripture where we see this idea of membership. And I'm going to hit these verses real quick. We'll actually hit each one of these verses later on as we go through. But there are three verses that I want to draw your attention to that people, when we started saying church membership, you need to be a member of a local church, where did that phrase even come from? Why don't we say a partner? Why don't we say a helper? Why don't we say a servant? Well, I think as we look at scripture, we actually have three places in which this idea of being a member is seen. And we'll explain this more. We'll go deeper as we go on. But to, just to, to start with, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. this is what it says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is, this is in the context of a, the body, right? The body uh, metaphor. Romans twelve five, same thing. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then Ephesians four twenty five in the same context says we are members of one another. Now this in many times is using the idea of a member of the body, like we would say an appendage, a member, okay? So we could say church appendageship, but that doesn't make any sense. So it's church membership. We are members of one another. We are members of Christ's body. And so how does that look? What is membership all about? Well, I think there's three basic, there's one basic question, and that is why become a member? Why become a member? Many, many of you may be asking that. I come every Sunday or I kind of church hop, I go from church to church and I get good things from every church I go to. That's great. So why do I become a member? What is the point? Why is membership so important? And I'm going to say there's three answers this morning that we're going to look at. There's probably several more. We're going to look at three essential answers to that question of why become a member. And as we look at these reasons for joining a church, we are going to see that they are literally broken down with ABC, hence the title, the ABCs of membership. So we will be looking at the ABCs of membership, and we will start with the A, which is accountability. We're going to start with accountability. This is one reason why membership is so important. And we're going to start with reason one, one, which is accountability. And so there's two primary ways that we are accountable. Uh, The first one I want to say is that we are, are accountable to leadership. We are accountable to leadership, that we have to uh, consider our leaders. And so in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is where we start. And we see in this passage this, that leaders shepherd through teaching and modeling. And I'm going to say, I'll give you why that's important in just a second. But leaders shepherd through teaching and modeling. If you go to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, or follow along with me, this is what it says. And so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. Here in 1 Peter, God is telling us through Peter as he writes that the elders need to be shepherding. Now here's the interesting thing. It says here, I exhort the elders among you, okay, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Interesting phrase here as we look at the idea of among what does that imply? Well, it implies that there is something that, there, that people are among, right? We're among others. We are spending time with. We are in physical proximity with. This is a case for the local church being vitally important. And so how would the shepherd know who to shepherd if they don't know who the flock is that is among them? And that's the point. Leaders must shepherd a defined flock. Not every Christian in all the world. We have... Five elders here, none of our elders would ever think that it would be their authority or ability to go to any other church in our area, walk in and say, this is the way you need to do things, because that is not our calling. We are called to shepherd our flock that is among us. And if there's no church membership, if there's no defined way of telling who's part of the flock, then imagine a shepherd who doesn't know who his sheep are. Just think a shepherd who's wandering around a field and is looking at all the sheep, having no idea whose sheep are whose. There's several shepherds. Who knows where to lead the sheep? There's obviously a problem. And here's another idea. As it talks about the elders not only teach through teaching, but they teach through their example. That's the point. And so they teach through their example. Well, how can you set an example for somebody who's not watching you? And this is another point of local church. Specifically membership, a group of people that are meeting regularly, that are committed to one another, that are able to watch their leaders to follow their example. You can't watch the leaders of a church that's across the world. You can't watch the leaders even of a church maybe even down the street. But you can watch the leaders from your own body. And so I think there's some principles here in in accountability, that there is accountability for leadership, right, that... The the shepherds shepherd through modeling, and that is their accountability to be humble, and yet they need to have a flock. But there's a flip side of this. It's not just the leader's shepherd. We also see that church members submit to responsible shepherding. Church members submit to responsible shepherding. It says here in verse 5, Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. So we see that, but also later on in the book of Hebrews, we see this same concept. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church members submit to responsible shepherding. We see this in Hebrews 13. It says you need to remember your leaders. You need to follow and imitate their faith. It says obey and submit, for they're keeping watch over your souls and they will have to give an account. In other words, the sheep, the people. There is a people that need to submit to certain leaders. And submission, we've talked about that, is to support Right to, to, to support the leaders that God has put in over you and not to groan or grumble or complain, all those things that Paul would say not to do, to do it with joy. Because remember, the leaders that are leading, and we have five men uh, that I, I know, no question about it, that we all love this body, love the people here, want to shepherd, but we all also understand one thing, that it is important that we shepherd well or we will be held accountable. And so when we ask people to submit or to support, it's not because we want to have some kind of power trip. It's simply because we want everyone to come together in unity. And so here's the understanding. If you're not officially a part of a local church, then how do you know who to submit to? Same idea we just talked about. So do you have to submit to the elder or the pastor that is pastoring a church that's uh, two towns over? He comes across and sees you and he gives you a directive that you should be doing in your church. Should you submit and obey to him even if you don't know him? No, that doesn't make any sense. Just like the shepherd need to know who their sheep are, the sheep need to know who their shepherds are. Same idea. And so as we look at this, if there's going to be leaders, your leaders, as Hebrews says, to submit to, you need to know who your leaders are, and you can't have leaders unless you're committed, unless you're joined to a body, and you understand who those leaders are. 
And remember that our goal as leaders is to lead people to maturity. We saw that in Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And we are pursuing maturity in all people. Humility and maturity, that's what we're looking for. And so accountability amongst leadership. The leaders are accountable to the people and the people are accountable to the leaders and that can't happen without church membership. Without an official commitment saying we are the body at Alfred Allman Bible Church. We will submit to these certain leaders and leaders we will submit to shepherding certain people. And so that just makes sense. But part of accountability even in leadership is to watch for sin and to make sure that people aren't falling into sin. However, this is not just the responsibility of the leaders. That leads us to our second idea when we come to accountability. Accountability, we should not only be accountable for or to leadership, we should be accountable for sin. Back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews three twelve through 13. This is to all believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, what does this verse say? Well, it says we watch out for ourselves, yes, but we don't stop there. We also must encourage one another to stay away from sin. It is our job as a fellow believer in Christ to help others stay away from sin, to protect each other. We watch over one another to protect each other from sin in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. That's accountability. That's me being honest with you about the struggles I have and you being honest with me about the struggles that you have and we can together hold each other accountable to live for Christ and not fall into those sin time and time again. Notice here that it says that sin is what? It's deceitful. The deceitfulness of sin. How many times have you been caught in a sin and you haven't even realized it? That you've been caught in a sin that you cannot get away from. And sometimes you don't even know that you're committing that sin because it's in your blind spot. All of us have blind spots to sin. And that's why it's so important that we have one another to point that out. Because we can be deceived by sin. And someone else can see that sin and help us not to be trapped by it. It's similar to, yeah, I, I, I love this illustration. I heard it once. Like, if, if, I, if I'm eating something and I have like, you know, have you ever had that moment where you've got like the, the big green spice on one of your teeth and you're talking to people and one of your friends comes up and says, hey, you know, you got something on your teeth, right? You're so thankful for that friend. You're a little embarrassed because you don't know how many people you've talked to. But still, that friend has helped you see something that you couldn't see, right? And that's a simple illustration, but that's what we need to do about sin. We need to point it out and we see it, not in, not in judgment, but in love. And we need to do that to protect. And so also, as we are accountable for sin, the next thing we see is we should strive to restore a fellow brother who is already caught in sin. So maybe we fail to protect, and, and somebody does get caught in sin, and they're being brought down by sin. Well, what happens then? Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what are we to do if a fellow brother falls into sin? Well, we are to restore him. We are to go to him. We are to confront and and we are to show him the error of his way. Show her the error of her way. Show them how then they can follow Christ better. And we do that gently and we do that lovingly. And we need to be able to do that. Now, here's the thing. This is not something we can do with the Christian that, we, that is part of the universal church, that is a believer, but is not anywhere near us in life. They're in another part of the country, another part of the world. How can we hold them accountable? You know, how can we truly have a relationship in which we can build into one another to protect and to restore? How can that happen without church membership? How can that happen without being joined together and committed together to one another, saying, I commit to you that I am going to watch out for you, that I'm going to protect you as best I can, and I'm going to restore you if you fall into sin. And you would say the same thing to me. That is where this is at. Now, as we talk about this idea of sin and church discipline is really what we're talking about, confrontation. And we know that if a person is unrepentant, they will not repent of their sin. You've called them out on it. You've tried to protect. You've tried to restore. And they continue to sin. 
I'm not going to go there, but you guys know these passages. Matthew 18 gives us a a structure for how we should confront sin. You go one-to-one, and then you take somebody with you and you confront the sin. And then if they still are not repentant of that, what do you need to do? You need to take it to the church. Now, wait a minute. If there's no local church membership, what church do you take it to? Do you take it to the one down the street? Do you take it to the universal church? You know, do you put it out on social media? So-and-so is sinning. Anybody who's a Christian that can see this message, we need to confront this person. Obviously not. There needs to be a body, there needs to be a committed group of people, a local church that is keeping one another accountable. So you present the person who is unrepentant to the church. Another case of church discipline in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 5, if you ever want to look at that. It's the case where the man is is being caught in sexual immorality and he won't stop. And what does Paul say to the Corinthian church? He says, to expel him from among you. How can you expel somebody from among something if they never really were officially part of it? You can't expel somebody from something that they're not in. And so therefore there's another point being made that church membership is vital to church discipline. So church membership is vital to accountability. Not only accountability with leaders, but also accountability with one another. That is one of the reasons why you become a member. You officially join the church, you commit to one another to keep each other accountable. That is what scripture says. Now church membership is how we can both be accountable to leadership and help one another be accountable for sin. It becomes much harder to do if we're not joined together. But that brings us to the next reason for membership. The next reason for membership beyond accountability, the B is belonging. Belonging. And uh, this is the idea of being a family, right? We're belonging to a family, to a community. That this is not just a place we come. This is not just a time we spend. This is not just a religious act that we do. But this is time that we truly fellowship as family. That we come together as community. That we belong to one another. That we belong to Christ and therefore we belong to one another as well. A couple ideas as we think about belonging. We belong to one another through unity. We belong to one another through unity. As we face this life and we are unified. We looked at this last week when we talked about communion. How important it is to display Christ through our unity. And we see our belonging in the fact that we can be one. Right? And so we see this in Romans 12, 3 through 5 to start with. For by grace is given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. We are literally members of one another. We are many, and yet we are one body. Obviously, you look out here, and you look around, We're not literally physically one, right? That would be really weird to see. We're all different. We're all many, and yet we're one together as a body. And if we join together in membership, we are one body, even though we are many members. Now, the interesting thing here, and I don't often do this, but as we look at this passage, um, I, I was looking at different translations because uh, it's interesting to see sometimes the different translations, what they bring out in these verses. If you have the NIV where it says members of one another in verse 5, it actually, the, the NIV translates it this, that, uh, that we are members and we belong to all the others. Belong to all the others. Very interesting. Now, I'm not saying that we take that and say because one translation says it, but that's the idea, right? That, that we, if we are truly to be members of one another, it's that we're devoted, it's that we belong to one another, it's that we're all one. We're in this together. We are uh, together in these things. And so we belong to all the others. We belong to one another. And why do we belong to one another? Well, that leads us to our next point. We are one with Christ because we are God's children. We are one with Christ because we are God's children. Galatians three twenty six through 28. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Jesus. We are called here the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember the family analogy I made? Belonging to one another as a family. You were adopted into God's family. 
I was adopted into God's family. Therefore, we are one family. We are not separate families any longer. And so we belong to one another as a family. Because we are all, you are a son of God or a daughter of God, and I am a son of God. And therefore, we are brothers, or brothers and sisters, we are siblings, we are part of the same family, we are one family. And so that's how we see that we are one in Christ. And therefore, we can have unity and understand our oneness with one another because we are all one family as we've been adopted by God through Jesus Christ. And so we see that to be true. Now, there's a real truth here. So he adopted me, he adopted you, so we were one family. There is an extended family and an immediate family, right? Just like a regular family. The extended family is the church universal. Everyone who has ever accepted Christ as their Savior. That is the church universal, right? That is the extended family. That's the people that if you see, you're kind of excited about. You see them once in a while, or maybe you never see them, but they're extended family. And we belong to each other in that way. And we, uh, we are... God's children with them and we are related to them and we are one family with them but there's also the immediate family which I would call the local church the immediate family the people that you always spend time with the people that you love the most deeply the people that you are around the people that you serve the people that you know it is your immediate family and so therefore I believe membership is vital to this because it's not just about us being one in a weird mystical sense but it's about being one because we are one family in Christ And we come together to show that as a local body. Next part about belonging. Not only are we unified, but we also belong to one another through love. Right? We belong to one another through love. Our calling as Christians is to love, unity, and peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another love, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The truth we see here is that it is our calling to love be unified, and be peaceful. These things flow from our shared identity of being one in Christ. If we are one in Christ, we will show love, unity, and peace because that's what Christ has given us. And so in Ephesians 4, we see that our calling is to do this. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, these verses will be familiar. We just looked at those not too long ago. But in Colossians three fourteen through 16, it says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We teach and admonish one another through teaching, singing in unity. So we are to love each other as one body. We are to love each other as one body and we see that we teach and admonish one another through teaching, singing, and doing all this in unity. Now here's the thing. If I'm going to admonish you, if I'm going to encourage you, if I'm going to teach you, if I'm going to sing with you, if I'm going to be thankful with you, what does that require? It requires me to be with you. Once again, another point that I just believe drives us back to the fact that church membership is vital. That if we're going to be teaching one another and singing to one another and admonishing one another and building one another up, we need to be with each other in a local context and not just be with each other and then come one week and then think, well, a month later I'll come back. No, this is a committed relationship in which we continue to be able to admonish one another, where we continue to teach one another, where we continue to sing with and to one another. That's why it is vital to be a member of a church. This is not just about our church. I would encourage you to be a member of any church that's Bible-believing and that believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, is the only way to know God, is the only way to eternal life. So this is not a pitch for our church. This is a pitch for you to be joined to a body of believers. So accountability and belonging are both benefits, but also some expectations when we think about membership. As we protect others, they protect us, and as we love others, they love us. Uh, and so we see that that's the idea, that if it's a mutual thing, right? There's expectations and benefits. 
Now we're going to move on to the C of membership, which is commitment. Commitment. Now you might think right away, well, commitment isn't a both-way thing, right? Commitment is not uh, a benefit and an expectation. It's just, a, it's just an expectation. You want me to be committed. You want me to be here every Sunday. You want me to be here at home group. You want me to do this and that and this. And you want me to be committed. Well, I would propose to you as we look at this, that not only is commitment an expectation. Yes, of course it is. We expect that church members would be committed to this body. But I believe that also commitment has its benefits as well. Because just like the other things, if I'm committed to you, or if you're committed to me, that's great. But remember, I'm also committed to you. And as we commit to one another, as we join one another, it's a mutual benefit as God receives glory through our unity and love. So let's look at commitment. And I would say that commitment really is the core of what membership is all about. We've talked about these other things. You can, you can feel like you belong to a church. You can even feel like you can be accountable just by coming once in a while or even coming every week but not being a member. But I believe that this last one, commitment, brings it all down together as we look at church membership. Are you committed to the body of Christ? You're committed to Christ if you've come to know him as your Savior. You've been baptized, you partake in communion, and you live a life that is a Christian life. You do your devotions and you do all those things and you're committed to Christ. That's great. But as I said several weeks back, don't just commit to the head. Commit to the head and the body. You're committed to Christ, absolutely. But remember, the body flows from Christ. And so if we turn our backs on the body, then we're just carrying a decapitated head that's not what we're called to do we commit to christ and we commit to one another in the body and so how do we commit well we are committed through our service to one another we are committed to our service to one another and i have a few longer passages here that we're going to read so i will turn to those but in first corinthians chapter 12 we already read some of this but in first corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 27 I want to read this, and as we listen to this, we'll understand that we are committed to one another through serving one another, because we all have a function as a part of the body. We all have a function to play, to do. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many uh, are one body, so it is with Christ. For of one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is... There are many parts and yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it. For there be that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of, the Christ, of Christ and individually members of it. As we look at this passage, we see that we all have a function as a part of the body. Every role in ministry in this church is important. We need one another or the body doesn't work. The body does not work right if we do not work together. If I am missing you or you are missing me or if I think I'm greater than you or you think you're greater than me or if I think I'm less than everyone else and I don't function the way that God has called me to function or the way that God has called you to function, we are going to hurt the body of Christ. And so we all serve. There is no one that is greater. There is none that are worse. Every member, what every member feels, the others will feel with it. In verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I reminded of a story just recently. Many of you know Dakota, and I hope he listens to the sermon. I told him I would do this, but I was kind of joking, but I'm actually doing it. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, he... He was walking, reading a book, right? And he ran into what he thought was a door, turned out to be a window, right? 
And he hits, he hits his head on the window. He sends me a picture of the door. It was, it was hilarious. But, so he hits his head on the window, and he says to me, you know, it's funny. After I hit my head, like, my head wasn't what hurt. He said it was my toes and it was my fingers. It was like other parts of my body that were hurting. I didn't even realize I hit my head until later on when I, when I realized that there was a, a little bit of a goose egg there. And I said, I thought, that is a great analogy of what this is the whole point. If one member of the body suffers, all suffer with it. That's, that happens. Have you ever had that happen to you where you hurt one part of your body but your whole body suffers? And that's how it should be in the body of Christ too. And I would say not only when it suffers, but also when it rejoices, that we can rejoice as one, that we can suffer as one. And the idea here is we are serving one another and all of us are equally important. And I would say as far as church membership goes, here's the thing. As we serve one another, the best and easiest and most obvious way is if we're committed to one another through service is through church membership. Because there is commitment there that I will serve you and you will serve me. As we serve Christ, we will serve one another. And we need to have that to be true. We also see one other thing. Uh, we, working with one another also causes growth. Uh, it causes growth. Uh, and actually, I did not write your, the scripture here. Uh, but this is Ephesians chapter 4. We've already been there once, but we'll go back. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this idea that all of us working together causes growth for the body. I'll get there in a second. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, all right? And in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking here at, uh, starting in verse, let's start in verse 4. I think I want to start. Yeah, we already looked at the first few verses. So we're going to start in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we've seen that. But now it says, But grace was given to each of us as according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. If saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed into and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part of the body has been gifted so that we can supply something to one another, so that we can all grow together, that we can be built up, and that we can grow in our love for one another. It literally says here in Ephesians in verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together. We are literally joined together for this purpose. We are joined together to serve one another for growth in love. That is obvious here in Ephesians chapter 4. This happens in the context of a local church. We are growing in love. We are growing and building each other up And how does that work if we're not joined together, if we're not committed to one another as a local church? It makes things much harder. We're not truly committed if we're not doing those things. Real quick illustration. Many of you have heard the illustration, uh, and we'll get there in a minute, uh, about, you know, if if you're going to be married, or if you're going to be dating somebody, and you like the girl... I guess Pastor Kenyon said this, John said it, if you like the girl, you should marry her, right? If you, if you like the church, you should commit to it. If you love the church, you need to commit to it. And that's the same thing. I want to give you another illustration that I, I heard recently. I want to give an illustration of a ring, all right? So I got a ring, right? This is my wedding band, right? But here's the thing about a ring. Um, is this ring part of my body? No, I see some heads. So you're listening. That's good. All right. This ring is not 
a part of my body. This is not a member of my body. This is not a finger. This is not a toe. Uh, this is not a knee. This is not a shoulder. This is a ring. It is a piece of jewelry. Now, when I put this on, is it part of my body? No, it's still not part of my body, is it? It's still a ring. But I can take it off. I can lose it. Um, I don't have any commitment to this. If, if, uh, if I lose a finger... Uh, I'm going to be in much worse shape than if I lose a ring. I mean, if I lose my ring, my wife, my wife might cut my hand off. But, I mean, no, besides that, though, uh, you lose a, a piece of jewelry, lose a watch, whatever it might be, uh, that hurts a little, but it's not like you're committed to that piece of jewelry necessarily. Maybe a wedding ring isn't a great example. Maybe it's just a normal piece of jewelry. But I'll tell you what, if I lose a part of my body, there's a different feeling there. And I want to say this. If you're a regular attender... I'm not trying to be confrontational or be mean to you. I would say if you're a regular attender, or if you're somebody who kind of bounces around from church to church, you're the ring. You know, I mean, you're nice, you, you, you fit well with us, it's great, but when push comes to shove, are you truly committed to the rest of the body? I don't know. Because it's pretty easy for you to fall off. It's pretty easy uh, to have less commitment to the ring than to the rest of the body. And maybe you're a ring that likes to get passed around. (laughs) But you need to be part of the body. You need to be committed to be a body and not just a piece of jewelry. And I want to encourage you with that. we got our last little couple things to go. Uh, So not only are we committed through serving one another as one body, being part of an actual body, we are committed through our devotion to one another. And I want to go to the early church for this. We go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 talks about devotion and how we should be devoted to one another. And we use this in every single membership class that we do. But Acts chapter 2 says so much great things about what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be a local church. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. We see that the early church modeled this devotion. So we are committed through our devotion to one another and the early church modeled this devotion. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We look at the early church, and I would not say that everything that we see in the local church we have to mimic perfectly, right? But there is a truth and a principle here that we see. That this early church was so committed to one another that they gave up their own goods to share it with others. They were so devoted and committed to one another that they were willing to sell all that they had worked for to give it to others who needed it. I am not saying today that you need to sell everything and bring it next week and we'll put it in a pile in the middle and we'll divide it. No, but the principle is seen in how much they were really committed to one another. And I would say some of us don't even commit enough to, to be here with one another on a consistent basis. And yet these people were spending all their time together. This was constant fellowship. This was not just an hour or two a week. It wasn't just a service on Sunday and maybe a midweek thing. Uh, the people were always together. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking bread with one another. That's not just communion. That's sharing meals. It's sharing life. They were so committed to one another that it wasn't just a part of their lives. Church was just not one of the boxes that they checked during the week. Church was not just one part of their life. Church, being with the people of Christ, being with the people of God, was everything to them. It was life. It wasn't just a part of life. It was life to them. The early church was a committed community. There is no question. And even if our commitment even was just half of what theirs was, it shows a great commitment to one another. And they were joined with one another. They, were, they knew who belonged to one another. And they were with one another. And are we committed in that way? We need to be devoted. And the early church modeled this for us. 
But not only has it been modeled, but we are also told to be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. In the ESV, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In the NASB and maybe some other translations, it reads, Be devoted to one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another. The idea here is love is more than just a word, more than an act, more than a feeling. It is a love that leads us to truly devote ourselves to another person. To truly, as a family, love one another and be devoted and be connected with another person. We are called to that. But once again, if there's no church membership, who are we called to love? Who are we called to be devoted to? Yes, in a sense, every Christian that we meet, but also the local body that is here amongst us. And so we need to be devoted to one another. So we are committed not only through service, but we're committed through devotion. That we care and love one another. So that leads me to the end here. Why become a member here? Why become a member at any church? But specifically, why become a member here? Well, I think it's simple. It's ABC. It's accountability. It's belonging. It's commitment. I know the Bible doesn't explicitly outline how a person should become a member of a local church. There wasn't a formal process in which they took four classes, were given a contract to sign, have elders interview them. I know that wasn't how it was done. Our society has necessitated some of those things to protect ourselves. But the idea here is still that they officially joined one another. They weren't just in and out and doing whatever they wanted or just not officially connecting with one another. They were always... Uh, connecting with one another in the early church. And the Bible is clear that we need to be joined together, that we need to be members of one another. And I would say these three things that we looked at can be attained in, in a small way through being a regular attender here. And we love our regular attenders. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad you're here. Right? I don't want you to leave just because you're not a member. But what I'm saying is there might be something better. And, and we love to have our regular attenders. And you can experience these things. You can experience commitment. You can experience belonging. You can experience accountability. But I don't believe you can fully experience them the way that God has for them if you aren't officially joined and making a formal commitment to one another. I know you might be committed informally, and that's great. You're a ring on the finger that's there, and it doesn't get off easily, right? But... Is it full? Is it what you need? Is it what's best? And that's the question that I have. Ultimately, it comes down to a commitment that you make to this body of believers. Going back to the dating and marriage illustration. So there's people who date churches, right? They come to a church, they like it until they don't like it anymore, they leave, they go to another church. We call them church hoppers, whatever you want to call them. And I'm, if you're doing that, I'm not here to condemn. I'm just saying people do that. And I was there at a point in my life. And I would say those are kind of the people who are daters. They're dating churches, and they're not ever getting married to a church. But I would say there's also another group that aren't getting married to churches, and it's those people who are attending regularly, and that's great. You're attending regularly, but I would say it's almost like I'm going to commit to an extent, but not completely. So what is that like? Well, it's like cohabitation. I'm not going to talk about how that. That's not the issue. But it's the idea of I can live with somebody without formally committing myself to them. We can live with each other. We can have kids with one another. We can even share things. We can share finances. We can do everything. We can share a house. And, but I'm not going to officially commit myself to you in marriage. Now, if I was to say that to my wife, there would be some issues, right? If before we got married, I said, you know, babe, I love you. I want to share everything with you. I want to be with you. I want to live with you. But Commitment, eh, I'm not really for that. I'm not going to commit all the way. I mean, it's just a piece of paper anyway. And some people do do that, by the way, but that's not God's intention of marriage. I can guarantee most girls would say, never mind. But here's the thing. Are you right now living with us, serving with us, loving us, having a great time with us, fellowshipping with us? That's all great. But are you truly committed and no, a piece of paper that you sign doesn't make you any more committed or less committed. It doesn't make you a better Christian or a worse Christian. But it is a way to officially say, this is my church, 
this is the body that Christ has put me in. I will serve, I will commit, and I will be accountable to them, and I will be in their family. In an official way, just like in a marriage is an official way to proclaim that. So, a couple questions as we close. First of all, are you a member of the body of Christ in general? Have you received the gospel? Do you know Jesus? Because you're not being part of his body if you haven't come to know Jesus for who he is. The God who came to this earth, who gave up his throne in heaven to come and live as a man, to live a perfect life that none of us could live, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, and then rise again three days later to prove that he had power over sin and death. And now he calls us to have faith in him, to believe in him, and to live our lives for him and look to him for our salvation, look to him for our hope. And if you have not done that, if you have not come to Christ and come to know him and have a relationship with Jesus, then you need to do that and become a part of the body of Christ before you worry about becoming the body here. You can't be a member of something that you're not even a member of the head, right? And that's the whole point. So if that's you, make today the day you consider what it is it looks like for you to follow Christ. And if you have more questions, please ask me or anyone else you know who knows Jesus. Are you, are you a Christian, but you are not experiencing the accountability, belonging, and commitment that Christ has called you to? Maybe it's because you don't come to church that often. Maybe it's because um, you come to church every week, but you're in and out as quick as you can, and you're not experiencing accountability. You're not experiencing belonging. You're not experiencing true commitment because you haven't given time. You haven't decided to become a member, or maybe you're even a member here. And I would say this, just because you're a member doesn't mean you're living the biblical membership. Okay, you might officially be a member, but if you're not truly committed, if you're not truly belonging, if you're not truly accountable, then what's your membership worth? So the question becomes for all of us this morning, are you really devoted to Christ and his body? Are you truly devoted, committed to Christ and his body? Because once again, Christ cares about his body. Christ cares about his church. His church is his bride. The church is everything to Jesus. And so we need to join with a church. And my recommendation and my hope would be that if you're here and you've been here and you've been listening to the teaching and you know what we stand for, that we stand on the word of God, that you will become a member here if you haven't already. And if you are a member already, that you will realize that the membership is not just a piece of paper, but membership is truly joining and committing and caring about one another. That is the call that we all have. We all are called to love and unity. Let's show it. And one obvious way to do that is through church membership here at Alfred Almond. And we'd love to have you join us. We're going to have a, a membership service in February. We'll have a class leading up to that. So if you wish to become a member please talk to me or another elder and we will definitely make sure that you are in that class and you are going to be able to get on and become a member here with us. All right. I don't know if we're singing again or not. Are we singing again? Where's Sola? Oh, there she is. Are we singing or are we praying? All right, we're going to sing one more song. So if you'd please stand.